This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We got some good suggestions here, which is the best bad body athlete. And people, this isn't the athlete with the worst body. This is the guy who does not conventionally look, quote-unquote, athletic, yet is incredibly athletic. David Wells is the great example of this for me, is that people didn't realize what an incredible athlete he was just because of the way he was built. There are some other ones that are suggested here. Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett was like the rolling ball of butcher knives. Just an absolute (laughs) explosive little dynamo. Bart Colon. Yeah, Bartolo Colon should absolutely be on that list. You don't last that long uh, without being an exceptional athlete. Prince Fielder, yeah, I could see that. Pablo Sandoval, also a good one, especially early in his career, how how well he moved uh, despite his girth. Ba- Big Ben, yeah. Big Ben's a good one. He's a soup sandwich. Because <laughs> the other thing about Big Ben is, is that he would have been worse if he was smaller. Like For all of the different things... He was so big that you saw tacklers constantly fall off him in the pocket. He was really hard to bring down. And we saw it in the preseason. Sources are saying that he's in the best shape of his life and is even perhaps in better shape than one Tom Brady. I got another quarterback for you. He is not just a pretty good quarterback. He's also a great esports athlete. Baker Mayfield is not necessarily the most athletic-looking person. He's shorter I wouldn't say that he's he's ripped or anything either. Yeah, he's got a little. He's got a little, but that's actually having a higher fat, like a, a not being super lean, can actually make a guy more resilient. Like there's there's actually some evidence of guys that are too lean with too low body fat percentage actually strain muscles more frequently. Uh, Rob Johnson would be one of those guys. Rob Johnson was in great shape. The guy got hurt a lot at quarterback. Um, for Buffalo and for a couple of other teams, Jacksonville too. Uh, Boris Diaw, basketball-wise? Now, Boris Diaw had an incredible feel for basketball and has, I don't know if he's still playing or not. Like, he's had an incredible career. I've always wondered if Boris would have been a would have been more than just because he's kind of become a point forward and someone who's got great passing and spatial understanding, shoots okay enough. I've I've always wondered if he would be and would have been a better player if he was a little, if 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 he was more of a, a threat to drive, and he basically doesn't have any at the rim ability. He does some post up because people have a hard time getting around him. I I wondered I wondered if he had been in better shape if he could have been a more athletic wing. Sean Kemp and Vin Baker probably both could have been in better shape, and obviously they had some issues themselves. Kemp's is Kemp's is different because I think that's tied into some substance abuse. Kemp Kemp was. Kemp is a physiological freak. Like what he looked like when he was with the Sonics is incredible. Compared to the Magic, right? Oh, I mean, Sean was, you you talk about how narrow, how thin his ankles were. Like just an explosive, as explosive and powerful an athlete as you'll ever see. And for Vin, Vin did have and was heavier later in his career. And that was, I I think it's all very clear now to people. That was tied to alcohol consumption. Um, It is Danny Gallant. 
We started the show by looking at what the Mariners have done, and specifically something that their manager pointed to. They won six of eight games on this road trip. They swept. They took two games in in Oakland. It must feel weird calling two games a sweep. Yeah. Sweep is usually three games. They 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 swept the two games that they had in Oakland. They come back having won six of eight games. An incredible road trip, despite giving up more runs than they scored. But manager Scott Service pointed out it's not just about run differential. There's something else you have to consider. Oh, no. Heck of a trip. We go six and two. Uh, I say all that. Somebody just told me our run differential was minus nine in this trip. But our fun differential was about plus 90. So we're going with that. And we're going to ride that one a little bit. So uh, uh, great trip. Well needed uh, day off. Kind of reset our bullpen and get back home and get after it there. So. (sighs) I love the fun differential. I love it. Yeah. Of course. Full dad joke. Lean into it. Full dad joke. And the Mariners are of all the different things. And this is it's starting to not matter. That idea of, hey, how how much can you forecast? How much can they sustain? Like all of those things. We're getting closer and closer to none of that mattering because the Mariners remain in this clump of teams that are chasing five teams, chasing two wildcard spots. And the closer we get to the end of the season, we're now inside of 40 games. The closer we get to the end of the season, the more this is just going to be a matter of, okay, who's got the best closing kick? It doesn't matter what you've done so far, and it doesn't even matter. It matters who gets hot right now. It doesn't matter if Jared Kelnick's hit below 200 for so much of his this first season, because if he gets hot now, and there were some signs showing up. So I, I, I'm all on board the fun differential greater than the run differential. Interesting. I feel that this is another example of service having a way with words, but also I think having a pretty good method, whatever it is behind the scenes, we obviously don't know, but of just keeping these guys loose, even when they're getting shellacked by the Astros, like we saw both on Friday and on Saturday. And, if you are 8-4 and four at this point against the A's, yes, there's a lot of season left to go. I suppose that the A's could even things up with the remaining series that you have against Oakland, I, I, I guess. But when you've been this good this year, you're 11 games over 500. Service deserves an extension. Jerry Depoto deserves an extension. Can we, get him, can we get it done by the end of the day? Can we just take care of this? What are we waiting for here? I, at this point... They have done so many things with so little and have turned things around so quickly from where it was in 2018, where it feels like there is a lot of ground in front of this team that could go to a bunch of different places, but you would only think up and only think towards success. Let's get this done. Let's get some security for these guys going forward. I do want them to rush this. I, I I think at this point, you know everything that you need to know about Jerry DePoto and Scott's service. I'll be really disappointed if they're not back. And I don't think there should be any question about that. I'm I'm trying not to get hung up on the timeline for it. And the, the reasons for that is we don't know all of the variables. You want to have both done, right? At this point, like you have to have both done, and this is something that this franchise has run into before. That you can't you can't announce an extension for the GM and not have an extension in place for the manager. And I'm not sure of all the all of the different uncertainties that would 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 keep that from happening. But as long as they're back, 
as long as they're back, I'm I'm not freaked out about the timing. And I I think some of how they were extended last time maybe plays into this of how they're choosing to present it. It does right? feel the that way. They feel a little cautious at this point. But doesn't it look like only it could be caution that is holding things up from an optic standpoint? Even if there are things going on behind the scenes, it, it, it's almost as if, well, we got fooled once, so we're not so sure that this is going to work out. And I, I don't know. I feel like you got to be a little bit more feeling like this is going in the right direction at this point. You should. It is going in the right direction, right? Everything that's pointing there. So what could be holding it up? The the first the first thing is obviously money, right? The first thing that it could be it could be money and and one or both of of Jerry Depoto, the general manager or the manager Scott Service, feeling okay. Hey, this isn't just a we're going to extend it. This is an opportunity. I I should I should get a raise. There should be a significant step forward because of what we've done in the three years since then. So that's a potential hang up, and that's like how negotiations get done, and you and you go back and forth. I'm not freaked out because it. We haven't gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, it looks like they're gonna they're gonna lose one or both of them. But that's one potential hurdle. The other one is that the last time they extended them, and this might not have anything to do with money at all. The last time they extended them, the direction of the franchise changed dramatically between when those extensions were signed during the 2018 season and that next off season, where all of a sudden you made a decision to turn the franchise in a direction toward rebuilding and Robinson Cano was traded and 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 Nelson Cruz was not re-signed and they went from being a team that was trying to earn a playoff spot to being one that was building toward being able to compete when the Astros started to decline and they were essentially extended and then the job descriptions changed so maybe there's some of that but I don't see anything changing between now and the end of the season that would make you any less certain of the direction your team is Same. Heading. Even if they don't do well down the stretch, you're all of a sudden just going to say, yeah, this season didn't matter. They are doing this in a MacGyver-esque fashion. They are doing it with guys like Jake Bowers. They are doing it with guys like Paul Seawald, Drew Steckenrider, guys who you would not think twice about going into the year. Chris Flexen, who is regularly going six innings plus. These are guys that they have found and guys that they have coached up. So I, I, I'm with you on that last part. I, I think that if we're talking about a roadmap, you know, the detour that they took, say we're like on some sort of a navigation app, Waze or Google Maps, you got a new road that was presented to you, and somehow you have shaved 10 minutes off that time. Were you going 100 miles per hour? I don't know. But whatever the case, I feel like that detour, they have moved through it pretty quickly. And to the first point, if Kevin Mather is saying publicly, and this is where Kevin Mather continues to work against this organization, and it's probably best interest if they're speaking to themselves privately. If Kevin Mather is saying that they're making a lot of money from the TV deal that they have, then money can't be an issue. You know, you're not the A's. You are not a broke baseball team. You have the resources to pay these guys competitive wages. So if that's a holdup, I think that's an embarrassing holdup. I, I understand business and, and, and all these things with, with finances that organizations have to factor in, but they should be getting paid at the very least the average, if not above the average, because that's that's what you give to guys who you feel like are making you better year by year. If you're Scott Service, would you want to wait this out to the end of the season before your leverage might increase? If you're Scott Service, mm-hmm. because that's that's one of the possibilities here as well, right? That that if you're the manager, you sit there and look at it and say, "Hey, I, I'm I'm close enough to the end of my contract. 
And if we do end up making the playoffs here, what what exactly does that mean? Like that would be a huge bargaining chip for you, for you, right? Like maybe you want to see it through to the end, and it's similar to a player in a contract year that says, "Hey, I want to move toward testing free agency." At least get to the end of the year because if you're like, "Hey, this team got to the playoffs this last year after we went through all of this," like that that would be something that would improve. If you're looking for the most leverage you could have as a manager, that would give it to you. Yeah, you're definitely rolling the dice on yourself if if, if you're operating that way. What would be the downside? If you're and I'm saying this from the from the managers, if you strictly looked at this and I'm saying, "Hey, I'm Scott Service and I'm advising how do you get the most for your yourself here?" What's the downside of waiting? There's none. I that's a that's a solid counter argument. I I guess I'm looking at this in a somewhat naive way too. If this is not counting against your salary cap or your luxury tax or whatever roster limits that you have, to me I feel like in sports, if you are in it to win it, you should be signing essentially blank checks for the people that you feel like are at their best and basically be giving them what they want. That's a naive way to go about it. That's obviously not something that a financially wise person would do. But nickeling and diming in sports, to me, I don't know. It just it, it feels like that's something that teams that are only interested in profits do. And I, I don't think that this is the case with this team considering how quickly they've turned things around like they have not sent things back to the dark ages to get back up to where they are right now after 2018 and and that deserves tremendous credit to a point where I I I think if you're keeping people engaged with this franchise with a 2020 team that was scrappy and this year a team that's been entertaining and exciting then you know what you have to do here keep the guys here and, and give them what they want I'd be really disappointed if both those guys aren't back, and I see no reason to think they both won't be back. I, I, I think and hope that it's just a matter of time. It is Danny and Gallant. It's time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Today's an exceptional day. Mora. Hello. What do we got? Well, first up, we have one of your new favorites. Danny, Jeremy Fowler. Yeah. Ah, I, I've called shenanigans on him. Reporter extraordinaire. No, I think he's an NFL insider that doesn't have much going on about what he knows about the inside workings, at the very least, of the Seattle Seahawks. Well, I'm not sure you're going to feel much differently about this commentary, but let's see. Um, he says this, this. these are the latest reports he's hearing from people within the NFL on Lamar Jackson this year. Lamar Jackson, there are a lot of people around the league that I speak to that are talking a little slick. They say this might be the year that everybody figures out Lamar Jackson. Like, there's mm. sort of that feeling right now. He can definitely prove that wrong, but I think there's a little bit of pressure on him right now. He doesn't have a deal either. What does that mean? So, people I'm talking to are talking a little bit slick about him. Who's he talking to? Bill Pullian? Yeah. I, who's. Is this scouts? Is it other coaches? I need specifics. Is it other front office people? And the other idea is who's telling you that the, what is there to figure out about Lamar Jackson? What do you figure out about a dude that runs 4-3? You have to stop him from running. No, seriously. Like what do you <laughs> what, what 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 is there to figure out there? Nothing. This is I think a continuation of indictment about his ability to throw the football and I I I guess I don't quite see it. I think that Baltimore does not have good wide receivers. I think that Baltimore does not have a good offensive coordinator. I think that those are pretty 
important factors when it comes to a quarterback and his success in the league. Look at Tom Brady in New England, his last year there. Those guys stunk. He wasn't able to make it happen in the same way that he had in years past, and he was clearly frustrated about it. If I'm Lamar Jackson, I would be frustrated with the fact that Greg Roman is still my offensive coordinator and with the fact that, what, Hollywood Brown is my best receiver when he's probably an undersized number two? They got the kid they drafted out of Minnesota, right? Yes. Rashad Bateman. But I, but he's been banged up this training camp, which and it's, has been a bummer. It's hard to expect anything out of rookies, you know. Yeah, like you're a right. DK I like I like Bateman. I, I like Bateman as a player. This whole idea of figuring somebody out is that that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, do you did did people talk the same way? Can you figure out Russell Wilson? What quarterback's been figured out? I I guess Kaepernick. Cap, what Tell me a quarterback who's been quote unquote figured out. You know what? It's interesting with Kaepernick too. Is the commonality? Who's his offensive coordinator? Greg Roman. Yes. Yeah. So why why are we talking about a player get who gets figured out as a quarterback? Did you figure out Peyton Manning? No, he found ways to improve over the course Come of his on. career. Like they don't they don't get quarterback. The, the idea of figuring somebody out is goofy. You figure out if a quarterback is perhaps not worth the contract, but yeah, I I, I think that for the most part the guys who stay in the game and that end up being starters are going to find little mini adjustments to their game. People are saying all of a sudden that Ben Roethlisberger, for example, has a tell when he runs or when he passes before plays. <laughs> they figured him out 20 years into his career, a Hall of Fame-likely uh, career. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, this isn't much of a surprise, but we finally have an official answer. Urban Meyer has named Trevor Lawrence the week one starter at quarterback for the Jaguars. Whoa, no kidding. That's shocking. This is an (laughs) outrage. Gardner Minshew of our beloved Cougs deserved that gig. I mean, first overall pick, eh, you know, let him sit. Sit behind the real guy. I'm kidding. Do you try and trade for Minshew right now? Like, that that would be an honest – if you're the Seahawks, are you interested in Minshew? Actually, yeah, because I don't think Geno Smith's a good quarterback. Like, there's that—that that would be the one. Gardner's probably going to be bummed, and maybe Urban's going to want to go with with his guy and clean the decks. It seems like there could be an opportunity to pick up a guy there for nothing. That could be. I, yeah. I like Gardner Minshew. I like Gardner Minshew. I want my backup quarterback to have upside, and yeah. I, th- I, I, I think don't, that's a fair thing to say. Right. I don't. I don't think Geno Smith has upside. I, that's that's not to say he's he's like the worst. Like he's a backup quarterback. But yeah. I just if if Russell Wilson were to get hurt, I would much rather have someone like Gardner Minshew behind him than Geno Smith. Gardner Minshew feels like the kind of guy on a good team who could win you fifty percent of your games. Like if you've got everything else in order and you're a playoff team and he's your starting quarterback, you could you could you could hope or exp- you could th- he could get you to 500. That's a good backup quarterback in the NFL. Well, the drama surrounding Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas's offseason continues. He is now suing the owner of an LA mansion he's been renting for over one million dollars, claiming they ruined his offseason training. He agreed to pay $60,000 a, men- a month in rent, but says there, hey. were, there were issues with the pool, garage doors, and kitchen appliances, and that reps from the place he was renting repeatedly showed up to the home unannounced, interrupting his workouts. Did this cause an ankle injury? A <laughs> million dollars? How do you sue your landlord for a million dollars? Like, seriously, I'd like to know. Yeah, I would too. 
Yeah. Well, How do you sue? Can I can I them... can I sue my landlord for a million dollars because there's been drilling around here this the past couple days? He apparently already paid them two months rent, which was uh, what one hundred twenty thousand, and then also a sixty thousand dollars security deposit. Yeah, because he's renting a mansion. That's good. That's good. You don't get to sue somebody for that. Did somebody make you sign that? Dude, this is, this sounds like, this sounds dumb. Like, that sounds like really stupid. How do you, I'm going to sue you for a million dollars because people kept coming over to my house. Dude, what? <laughs> what are, there were problems with the pool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know if you get to sue your landlord for a million dollars for that. Look, I'm all in favor of suing. La- no, I'm not. I'm not in favor of that at all. I mean, I would would not mind you know, being able to present some data. Can you imagine that? Like my neighbor was loud. You owe me $5,000. What if I saw something unsightly <laughs> from someone across the street like while walking around my apartment? Or, I don't know, maybe like 37 car break-ins took place in my apartment complex. But I have a grounds to sue. What? Asking Pro- for a friend. Dep- depends on if it's in the parking lot that's controlled by your like. Is it a, is a it closed was. parking? It was hmm. thirty seven. Oh, maybe call you can Michael ask for Thomas. some concessions there. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna talk. Yeah, to call Michael, Michael Thomas. Thomas's attorney. <laughs> All right, we'll squeeze in one last one. We've already talked quite a bit about the Rams trading for Sony Michelle, but here is an updated look because we know they love to trade their picks. Here's an updated look at their draft for next year. So they have no first-round pick because they traded it for Stafford. They do have a second-round pick, um, and they have two third rounds. Okay. But um, they don't have a fourth, and they potentially could not have a fifth and a sixth, depending on how this Michelle – or the compensatory pick that they have for, I think it was John Johnson works out in relation to the Michelle trade. Um, And then they have two in the seventh. It's expected to be a fourth-round pick, so that would likely be what the compensation is. Um, I do not know how they build for the future. I really don't. I do not know how Les Snead still has a job. I do not know what the game plan is here outside of we have to win it with Matt Stafford, a guy who has had two back injuries over the last couple of years amongst many, many other injuries. Forget the skepticism about how good he actually is. The guy gets hurt. He's tough as nails. A lot of eggs in one basket. Good for Les Snead somehow finagling his way into a 10-year job. Yeah. There's an awful lot riding on this, and it's more than just Les Snead's job. There's an awful lot riding on this on Stafford being the answer. He's on the cover of ESPN.com today with a happy smiley face sweater talking about how a weekend in Cabo changed the direction. And Yep, because if that doesn't work... If that doesn't work, that franchise is going off a cliff. Mm -hmm. That franchise is absolutely going off a cliff. You'd hate to see it. Would you trade Matt Stafford for Aaron Donald? (laughs) I know they're on the same team, but we were going back to this earlier. No? No. No, You wouldn't trade Matt Stafford? You'd you'd, you'd trade Baker Mayfield, but not Matthew Stafford for Aaron Donald. No, I don't think I would. No. I I feel like with Stafford... There is a slight chance. Like, I'm not ruling out the possibility entirely. I'm more annoyed with the people talking up Matt Stafford than I am with the idea of Matt Stafford. How about you? Yeah, I think I'd, I, I think I'd keep Stafford over Donald. I think I'd keep Stafford. I'd trade Baker, but, but, trade, but keep Stafford. Paul Gallant, myself, we're going to yell at each other next about whether or not you should ever draft a running back in the first round. <laughs> You are listening to Danny and Gallant.
powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Got a text here that Matthew Stafford is better than you think. Maybe. The 206. Sean McVay better hope so. He's got a lot riding on that guy being a, a significant upgrade. Sony Michelle was traded to the Rams, who are in desperate need of a running back because of injuries. It was a fifth and a sixth round pick that the Rams gave up to get him, a former first round choice by the New England Patriots. Same draft as Rashad Penny. It probably will turn out to be a fourth round pick that's being sent. It's a conditional fourth round that the Rams are expecting to get in compensation for for John Johnson, the safety that that left in the offseason. Should you draft a running back in the first round? Because the fact that Michelle is being traded for that, and he's had a better three years, certainly, than Rashad Penny has had so far, is is it worth it? I, I've drawn a pretty hard and fast rule. Like, I, I would not draft a running back in, in the first round. I wouldn't draft him in the top five. I wouldn't draft him in the top 15. I wouldn't draft him in the top 32. No running backs for me, please, in the first round. What happens, though, if the pick comes to you? You're picking mm-hmm. at 21, 22. You maybe want to trade down. You can't trade out of that spot. And the top guy on your board, because of your evaluation, is that player. Say you're drafting at the back of the first round. If you like the guy enough, you have to be confident in your scouting to take that guy. And sometimes it's going to work out. Other times it's not. If the Seahawks had taken Nick Chubb instead of um, Rashad Penny, or if the Patriots had taken... Nick Chubb, who was Sony Michelle's teammate at Georgia, instead of of Sony Michelle, it's a successful pick, and we're only talking about a difference of I would say ten total picks between the three of those running backs. Maybe, but here's the other thing: is that maybe Nick Chubb isn't as good in Seattle's system as he is in Cleveland's system. Maybe maybe he's not the same player. I think that the running back's success is more dependent on factors that are outside of his control than other positions. If you have a if you have a, an offensive line that is booty, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I mean, you have to be Marshawn Lynch to be able to ram your way through that. And I I just in general would say that hey, I'm going to pick a position that has more positional value. I'm going to take a tackle. I'm going to take a defensive end. I'm going to take a quarterback or take a wide receiver. I'm going to take somebody, even even if what you said, like sort of the conviction of, of my scouting, I'm going to say I, w- I want a position that has, has a higher positional value than running back does. And, and I get the idea of positional value, but at a certain point, who's good and who's not? And, and, and to me, I, I don't think you can marry yourself entirely to the idea that your perception of positional value or the league-wide perception of positional value is the end-all, be-all when you might not have another pick for another day or another 32 to 64 picks. That's something, if you really like somebody and he's there, regardless of position, I think he should be an an option for you. And while I do understand the idea of hesitance with running backs, you're drafting a guy that if you take him in the first round, forget extensions. If the guy's good for you for four to five years, but he's not great, 
okay, you got a good player for four to five years, which is what you're hoping to get with a first-round pick. And the other thing is, I just believe that as far as positions go, you have the highest floor with a running back. I, I, I generally think that you're going to get some sort of contributions, especially early on in the draft, because I would say that for the most part, and this isn't always the case, like obviously you have some Trent Richardsons, every position has, has its busts, but I, I would just say if you've taken a look at all of the first-round running backs taken since, since Trent Richardson, like Rashad Penny is one of the guys that you look at and you're like, I'm not sure how much of a contributor he's been, and it's not like he's been bad, he's been cheeks in this he's, been, he's been hurt. He's yeah. been hurt, right? He's been hurt. Here's I I don't disagree with you about the floor, but I actually think that that's a reason not to draft them in the first round. I I I think that it is easier to find a functional running back than it is other positions, and that not that hey you're just as likely to find a good a good running back in the sixth round than you are in the first round. I, I don't I don't think that's necessarily the case. I just think that, man, it is easier to find a good running back in the sixth round than it is to find a good quarterback in the sixth round or find a good wide receiver in the sixth round. That those higher-value positions, it's much easier. And if I'm going to use a first-round pick, well, okay, I don't think that drafting a quarterback in the fifth and the sixth and the seventh round and having those three guys battle it out is going to necessarily give me a good quarterback. I, I kind of think having three running backs from the, la- the latter half of the draft I, I kind of almost think that that would be a better solution, a better way to find your best running back than drafting the best running back you can find in the first round and hoping he stays healthy. Do you think you'd feel that way if, if not for Chris Carson? I do because I feel like I've looked around the league and seen that teams end up boxing themselves into, hey, Leonard Fournette is a good running back for us because we give him all these carries and his yards per carry is okay. And you're like, well, actually, if you look at it, he might not even be the best running back. Ezekiel Elliott's a great example. The past two years, I'm not sure that Ezekiel Elliott is the best running back that's been on Dallas's roster. I, I think he gets all of the opportunities because they gave him all of the money and you've got a, 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 a stubborn owner. I think in general that while I'm not married to the idea that you will find someone in those later rounds, having competition between guys, I'd rather do that than take take a running back in the first round. I, I, I understand that side of it, and, and I, I guess if we're making a comparison as far as what you're expecting out of the picks, if you draft a running back later on in the draft, the lottery ticket that you're buying is like one of those you know scratch-offs versus... Yeah. If you're like in terms of the guy actually being a success, so there, there's a better chance as opposed to you buying like mega millions or something like that at the very back because that's what you're doing with a quarterback if you get him in the sixth or the seventh round or something like that or other positions too like tackle with like Stone Forsythe you know like Stone Forsythe he's he's got a lot of tools but is someone actually going to be able to mold them into first round caliber play at that position? So I I I, I get where you're coming from and and you definitely see lots of running backs that are taken towards the back of drafts, third round, fourth round, etc. But it's easier for the entirety of a draft to find it as opposed to the one specific team. I, I, that, that's, I think, the yeah, big difference. You're right. I, I don't disagree with that. I don't, I, I don't think it's fair to look back and say, well, you can find a running back in the seventh round because Seattle drafted a running back in the seventh round. You look at all of the running backs that were drafted in the seventh round, you know what? Like most of them didn't become Chris Carson. Chris Carson is the exception. I would rather have three late-round draft picks compete for 
the running back job than to have one first round draft pick that I need to stay healthy, that I need. Okay, I'm going to put my because there's a little bit of that. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah, that Leonard Fournette ends up having these huge rushing totals because he gets a bunch of yards because he gets all those opportunities because he was a first round pick. And you you end up feeding that guy, and I I always come back to well, what could the next best guy you could have gotten done in that? Because if he gives you eighty percent of what Leonard Fournette did, well, I'll take the eighty percent and use that first round pick and go get something else where I get a guy that that could not what he does can't be replicated. And that's fair. I but we also might be having an entirely different conversation about Leonard Fournette if he didn't have Blake Bortles as his quarterback and didn't have that kind of drag. As far as, as far as an offense goes, like he was essentially being relied on as a bell cow. I, you know, what's interesting about a lot of these picks, the extensions are definitely worse than the actual draft picks themselves. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. The, the extensions are absolutely worse. Elliot isn't all that good, but he's worth more than Dak. No, you're insane. No, you're insane. I like I like Zeke too, and no, like that is that is crazy talk. The reason Elliot, Dak Prescott's importance to that team is so so much greater. It's not even comparable. It's not close. I mean, look at what they were without him last year. They were an absolute joke, and and he was the one thing. I mean, why were they hanging around in that game against the Seahawks? Was it because of Ezekiel Elliott who was fumbling the ball all over the place last year? Or was it because of Dak Prescott bombing it downfield to random dudes at wide receiver that the Seahawks could not stop because their defense stunk? It's Danny and Gallant. We'll come back with flags. That's next. From the pocket. And flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It's time for us to summarize exactly all that we've gone through through these previous three hours. Find the good, the bad, the sometimes ugly. Maura, would you like to start off today? You're usually the bright side of the show. Except when it comes Uh, to Tim Tebow. (laughs) I don't don't know if this... I guess this is the bright side. Um, I'm going to raise a flag for Michael Thomas and just his ability to kind of... Uh, it seems like this offseason, everything is everyone else's problem. <laughs> First, he's feuding with his team, uh, saying they mishandled his injury, and now, you know, suing his his landlord for a million dollars because they ruined his offseason training program. I, I like that listed among the things that didn't work in this mansion he was paying $60,000 a month for. was like He said there was issues with the pool, the garage, and kitchen appliances. Like, if that affected his offseason training, is it like the blender isn't working for his smoothies or... What do you think? Yeah. Like, there's a lot here. He somebody rolled his texted, ankle in the pool. Somebody somebody texted in, too, saying that I was I was stumping for the man by saying Michael Thomas is ridiculous, which I, I guess, like... Yeah, Danny, you're always bleep the bosses. Yeah, but at the same time, is it smart to pay $60,000 in rent? Like, is it smart to pay $60,000 a month in rent? Yeah, if you're Prince. No, I... But... Like everything that we know about, is that a good value proposition? No. And maybe it is because people will argue about these things all the time, like whether or not it's financially worth it to rent or to own. Like, and I realize that's a bougie conversation to have, but I'll just I'll just raise my hand from the first and saying right off the jump, if you're deciding I'm going to pay sixty thousand dollars a month in rent, like you're you're certainly. That's not a general person that I would say power to the people and we need to rally behind him. The common man has not applied to that fellow in quite some time. 
Well, and to your point earlier, you know, suing for a million dollars, you would think that someone got hurt or he got stuff stolen or something. He's just saying it like, oh, there was issues with the garage train. doors and the pool and and the owner yeah. stopped by a couple times and it bothered me. Yeah, I don't know. I it's it, this seems this seems like it could potentially be a victimless crime in which like very rich aloof entitled person rents an incredibly uh it, sort of overly ornate and underwhelming overall rental property and I'm like yeah I don't know if the American legal system should be uh resolving your disputes you should go to like idiots court <laughs> do you have the kind of conscience that would allow you to sue somebody for something that you know is a little dubious, but there would be a significant payout at the end of the day. I don't think I could, even though I would want to. I think that the guilt side of me would be like, well, I probably am not actually owed this gross sum of money. We sued We sued a bus driver. I guess by we, it was Sharon did. It was a small claims court. Um... She had rented it was a it was a metro articulated bus uh, that had been converted into like a party bus, and so she arranged to rent it. And it was going to take people for she graduated, uh, gotten her her MBA, and we it was going to take us around to like three or four different spots. The dude never showed up. She had talked to him like four days before. He had there was a security deposit was like dude was oh. a liar. Like yeah. Bradley Wilson, if you're listening out there, you're a crook who still owes us the money from that. Um, like flat out crook reneged on it gave an ever changing story about why he didn't it was very clear that he knew for a significant amount of time before that his bus was not going to be available that's a legit reason but even then it's so hard to get money out of people when you sue them Mm -hmm. like it so no I can't imagine that I would go through all of that rigmarole to try and, and squeeze money out of someone for something that didn't because it's a pain in the butt to deal with the legal system yes very much so I think sometimes you end up spending about as much as you end up getting and it takes yeah this years. was we didn't spend it but it just took time like it was an afternoon I had to sit in the room with him oh boy That's yeah we should actually go find it and send that to collections at least because he never paid that. <laughs> yeah. After. The judge did yell at him, which was awesome. Like she told him, she's like, no, no. He's like, I thought I could talk. Don't you interrupt me. Like she gave him the smackdown. I, uh, what- I got backed into once with a car in my apartment complex. They lived next door to me. And I told them, these people literally live next door to me. How can you not collect the $500 because they're an uninsured motorist for this? And they're like, well, we just can't. I'm like, they're, they're right here. I can point it out to you. Anyway. All right, Paul. What do we got? Real quick flag. The idea of J.R. Smith golfing is hilarious, and he is going to play <laughs> golf in college for North Carolina A&T. J.R., best of wishes. I hope you do it shirtless. This is hysterical. He is using his college eligibility to play golf. That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm all on board on that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna raise a flag to the Philly fanatic. I don't know if you know there's been an ongoing court case. Yeah. <laughs> so the Philly fanatic was created in 1984, and there's a rule amongst like when you trademark or license something that the original content creator after 35 years has the option to say like we want out of this deal because we sold this for way too little for what it turned out to be worth, and that's what that that company has done. 
and part of the settlement, the Philly fanatic, the Phillies would keep using like a modified version of the fanatic. So, so, so they bet in court over whether there were enough substantial changes made to the fanatic to to warrant like a modified or revised version. He has fur now, or instead of fur, he has feathers, and his he has like a a light blue tail. It's like Vanilla Ice a, describing the difference between um, Ice Ice Baby and Queen Under Pressure. And Queen, and Queen, yeah. Exactly, that's exactly what I thought. I would just like to read because whoever wrote this had a very funny one of the modifications that they made is he's got a bigger posterior. <laughs> this yeah. is this is from the the Blood Philadelphia implants. Phillies side of it. And they cited a Supreme Court decision in Feist Publications versus Rural Telephone Service Company, Inc., which is a great name for the Rural Telephone Service Company, Inc. Quote, to be sure, the changes to the structural shape of the fanatic are no great strokes of brilliance. But as the Supreme Court has already noted, a compilation of minimally creative elements, quote, no matter how crude, humble, or obvious, end quote, can render a work derivative. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the judge said they can keep using the Philly fanatic. Can the fanatic sit down with his new posterior? Because I saw a report recently that this person who spent $20,000 on a butt implant that actually can't sit down is still fine with the procedure having been done. They can't sit. That's pretty funny. Uh, we want to thank Michael Bumpus for joining us today, as well as the Professor John Clayton for our morning drive. We're going to have Jerry DePoto with us for our weekly chat tomorrow. More Dooley keeps us on the straight and narrow, and he is Paul Gallant. And yeah, if you've got a if you've got a legal case that you might want him to take on, may, perhaps perhaps you could consult him um, to, as your legal advisor. And he is Danny O'Neill. And while this is completely out of context and unfair, he wouldn't draft Barry Sanders in the first round. He just wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so long, farewell. A question for the next show. What do you think's holding up extensions for Scott Service and Jerry DePoto? We'll talk to you tomorrow.